0: Welcome to the Stop Down Photography Podcast, episode 79. I'm Scott Davenport. Today's topic, landscape photography rules you should break. Hi, welcome. Thanks for joining me. I'm glad to be back with you for another chat about photography, this shared passion of ours. And in today's episode, let's take one more step on our never-ending journey of photography. I apologize about not posting a podcast last week, you know, sometimes life happens and rather than hastily slapping together an episode, I took the gap, handled life and well, here we are back again, back on track. And in this episode, let's talk about rules, these rules that we have for photography. I'm making air quotes when I say rules because we're going to talk about breaking those rules because the rules don't always align with the vision we have for our photographs. If you enjoy today's podcast, please share it with a friend, on social media, with your camera club. Also, if you can, please leave a rating for the podcast. There have been some new ratings in the last couple of weeks. Thank you very much to those that took the time to add a rating for the podcast. It really helps other photographers find out about the show. If you're on iPhone or Mac OS, you can rate directly in the Apple Podcasts app. If you're on Android or on a desktop, you can leave a rating via the web at podchaser.com. Links are in the show notes. Let's start this conversation about rules with a film reference. You've seen the film Pirates of the Caribbean, the last couple of decades, Johnny Depp, Jeffrey Rush, Keira Knightley. If you have, you may remember this classic scene where Captain Barbossa, a pirate, he's engaged in this negotiation under the code of Parley, and for our purposes, The topic of negotiation and the outcome, none of it matters, but what's pertinent is after this negotiation concludes and the parties reach an agreement, Captain Barbosa almost immediately goes back on the deal, reneges on the agreed upon terms. He'd broken the code of parlay. He gets called out on it, and Barbosa says, the code is more what you'd call guidelines than actual rules. And that's exactly what these rules of photography are. They're guidelines, they're helpful advice for creating and composing our photos, recommendations on how to expose, suggestions for post-processing, but they are not fixed. This is a topic you'll often visit on your photographic journey and it bubbled up for me again because of a post-processing rule that I realized I was breaking. It's a rule that I follow when I'm applying a glow look to my photos. I like a modest glow for some of my landscape images. I'd recently captured a photo of rolling hills, layered mountains, and there was this soft glow look I wanted to add for some ambiance in the scene. Now my rule for glow looks is this. I add the glow look, Then I add a luminosity mask. And the luminosity mask tempers the glow in the shadows. It targets the glow to the brightest areas, downplays it in the shadows. And why do I do this? Because in nature, dark things don't glow, bright things, things that are illuminated, those things glow. So a luminosity mask is a great way to simulate that and mimic the real world. But I broke this rule on this recent photo, the look didn't work. In fact, it was the opposite that was better, letting the glow be stronger in the shadows, and then the upper mid and highlights be virtually glow-free. Not exactly natural, but it worked better for this particular photo, and ultimately, it's the photo, the story that it tells, the feeling that it conveys, that matters. So I broke the rule, and that got my gears turning. What rules of photography do I break regularly? So, I'm a landscape photographer. I'm going to speak to what I know and not pretend I know what rules, say, a wedding photographer is supposed to follow and break the mold from time to time. But I've got a list of five to share five rules of landscape photography that you should break. Okay, so here we go. Number one, the rule of thirds. Oh, yeah, top of the list. The rule of thirds gets seared into our photographic memory early on in our photo journey. So much so, I feel confident I do not even need to explain what the Rule of Thirds is to you. If you're listening to this podcast, you know what it is. And it is an absolutely 100% important concept to understand and learn. However, as helpful as the Rule of Thirds is for learning composition, making strong images, it doesn't work for every scene. Scenes with symmetry jump to mind. The mirror line or the axis of symmetry placed dead center in a photo can look fantastic. You might put the subject in the center. You might push a subject far to the edges, leveraging negative space to really uh, accentuate that subject. You get the idea here. You don't be shy about breaking the rule of thirds. And a uh, related rule that I use for composition of landscapes is letting nature be the guide. When you're on location, you're considering your compositions. Well, what's the most interesting thing about the scene? Is it the foreground? Have more of that in the photo. Or is it the reverse? You have a really bold sky and a limited foreground on the horizon might be pushed to the bottom fourth, fifth. I have one that's even at the bottom like eighth of a frame and the photo is stronger for it. So anyway, rule number one to break is the rule of thirds. Rule number two to break fill the frame. We hear this one, fill the frame, when we study composition, and like all the rules, there's good reason for it. It's related to avoiding dead space, having your subject occupy more of your photo, and thereby occupying your viewer's attention. However, filling the frame for a landscape can sometimes backfire a little bit, and for a simple reason, breathing room. When I'm photographing a landscape and I settle on my composition, the elements are positioned in the frame just so, I'll scan around the edges of the frame in the viewfinder or on the LCD, kind of doing a visual border patrol. And in the past with this fill the frame mantra, if I see something awkward at an edge or otherwise distracting, I'll make these minute adjustments to the composition, maybe tighten in a little bit. And this is where the problem will creep in. Now I usually get my horizon line close to straight in camera, but almost never perfectly straight. There is usually a degree or two of adjustment on the angle that's needed to get that perfect straight horizon, and that happens in post-processing, and that rotation, that changes the edges of the frame. The visual border patrol I did in the field, while still valuable, isn't the end-all be-all of the composition and that rotation can sometimes throw off the composition just enough that it becomes problematic. So now when I'm out in the field there's something at the border that's a small intrusion, something I know that I can easily deal with a crop in post-processing, I leave it alone. If it's a simple retouching job, Don't change the composition. I might even zoom out a millimeter or two or take a half step back just for a little breathing room in post. I want that because that small rotation to straighten the horizon, I might lose an essential of the composition I'm after. And if I nail the horizon perfectly level, well, great, I'm just cropping a tiny excess away at the edges or doing a little digital retouching. Or, heck, if you're printing it, that might be the bits that hide underneath the mat board. So instead of thinking about fill the frame, be mindful of having a clear, strong subject and emphasizing that subject, be it with the composition choice, bold placement, avoiding dead space, or later in post-processing, or dodging, or burning, contrast, color, or, or, or all of these things. Fill the frame mostly, have that strong story, the compelling frame. You give yourself a little latitude with the margins. You can probably afford to drop a few pixels with a crop. Okay, so those are two rules to break about, and they're both about composition. How about a technical item, a camera setting? Rule number three to break. Landscapes require extreme depth of field. Are you always photographing your landscapes at F11, F16, F22 maybe? Sure. I've got lots of those photos and they will look awesome. Crisp detail through and through. However, I've also captured wonderful landscapes at F4. And it's actually the shallower depth of field is, is kind of how we see the world. We look at something, we see what we're looking at in focus, and the surrounding things are soft. We can tap into that natural way that we see the world with our photography. Now, an initial thought might be something like astrophotography right astrophotography we're definitely not at f8 or even f5.6 you want f2.8 or 2.2 2 or 1.8 if you've got it the wider that aperture is the more light you can gather the more stars are visible in that milky way or that galaxy that you're capturing and the stars are so far away the focal plane is fundamentally the same. So everything out there is sharp. But I'm thinking also of shallower depths of field for general landscapes. These work well too. It can simplify your photos, give them more impact. It can also enable you to capture in lower light and uh, I think it works well with intimate landscapes like intimate compositions you know a segment of a stream where there's this interesting curl of water for example or one leaf on a plant or a tree that is crisp and the many others behind it are soft and diffused you can try this with the compositional technique of framing so you're using things like tree branches or you know the archway of a door something that creates an in situation in the field frame for your subject, your subject is crisp looking through the frame. The frame itself is softer, a little bit out of focus. The shallower depths of field with landscapes also work well. How um, do I don't want to describe this? Uh, let's say familiar scenes, like the everyday landscape. Uh, for example, a winding road that stretches to the horizon, unless it's in a commonly known place. It's the road that's interesting. That's the suggested story. Traveling, moving forward, uh, the next adventure about to unfold. And if that road winds into a softer distance, like rolling hills, maybe the hint of a mountain range or a colorful sky, even if it's soft, that story is still well represented. Another scene that comes to mind is a field of flowers, the few that are in the foreground or where you're choosing to focus or crisp and the rest fade off into like this endless sea of flowers. Forest scenes, colorful leaves on the forest floor and the trees, but the trees in the distance are soft. You're getting the idea here, right? This works well because of the collective consciousness of humanity, right? We're we're familiar with these kinds of scenes. Whether you have stood on that particular road that stretches to infinity or hiked in that forest, You've seen photos of places like this, and we inherently relate to them. So our mind fills in the gaps with respect to the areas that are somewhat out of focus. And uh, you know, it also leaves something to the viewer's imagination too, this shallower depth of field. You know, that can be fun for the viewer as well. So rule number three to break, landscape photos do not automatically require an extreme depth of field. Rule number four you should break, Golden hour and blue hour is the only time to capture landscapes. Not true. Now, no doubt, the light is sweet at golden hour, the sun is low on the horizon, or at blue hour when that mix of ambient and artificial light is just so. That's magical for cityscapes in particular. However, that does not mean there are no landscape photos to be had during the rest of the day. Why? Photography is about light, not about your wristwatch. When the light is good, the photos are good. An overcast day, midday in the forest for example, nature becomes one giant softbox A great time for forest photos. Minimal reflections off of wet foliage, no dappled light. Or in that same forest on a bright day, if it's a thick canopy, a few strong shafts of light that cut through and hit the forest floor, awesome photos to be had. Midday with interesting clouds, You know, days where the sun peaks in and out uh, because of the cloud cover in the sky. Wider vistas can work well here. It's, it's dappled light, but on a grand scale. So some things are illuminated, some things are in shadow. And when you get lucky, a singular subject gets lit when the rest of the scene is in shadow, cool stuff. Clouds also happen like just after a rainstorm, the air is really clear, less dust, crisper photos, the clouds are breaking up, it can make for some excellent lighting conditions, excellent photos to be had. I'm sure some of you thought of infrared photography as I said this, definitely. Broad daylight is perfect for IR work. It's also good for black and white work. I lean toward more contrasty black and white photos, so, that extra contrast from a harsher midday light helps with that. So, break this golden hour rule. And I'll suggest breaking it by extending your shooting day. Stay on location after sunrise has happened, or move to a second location to capture photos after sunrise, or start your sunset shoot earlier. Capture those off hour photos along with your golden hour beauties. All right, the fifth and final rule to break in landscape photography. Landscapes must be epic. Now, this has been a trend for the last few years, especially pre pandemic when we were doing a lot more travel. It's the, the hero image, the epic landscape, you know, rugged, snow capped mountains, high cliffs, powerful oceans, you know, unreal skies that might be both angry and beautiful at the same time. And these are great images. I certainly enjoy looking at these kinds of photos. And if I'm fortunate enough to capture them, I sure will. However, nothing says a landscape photo has to be epic. I think equally compelling are calm, quiet, peaceful scenes, the perfect S-curve of a sand dune in the desert, a single tree in a shroud of fog, rolling pastoral hills, finding order in the chaos of a thick forest, a simple farmhouse in a wide field you know all of these things can make great wonderful landscape photos and they are not what we would call epic you know close-ups of nature can be uh, just as compelling you know a segment of a waterfall or you know dew on a spider web glistening in the light you get the idea and i think it's these types of landscape photos um, that are more likely the bulk of our photo library it's certainly true for me Few of us live near a continued source of epic scenery, right? We're we're not all as lucky as, say, Ansel Adams to live in Yosemite, or live in the Dolomites of Italy, or in Iceland, or the Faroe Islands. And I'll bet the photographers that live in those areas will also tell you, the epic landscapes don't happen every day. Just like every landscape photographer knows, the right set of conditions need to line up. You keep trying. The law of averages will eventually get you that epic photo or two. So enjoy those visits at those grander landscapes. But in between, there are plenty of other fantastic landscape photos to be had. So, rule number five to break landscapes must be epic. No, they don't need to be. So, those are my five landscape photography rules that you should break. Here's the recap number one, the rule of thirds. Number two, fill the frame. Number three, Landscapes require extreme depth of field. Number four, golden hour or blue hour is the only time to capture landscapes. And number five, landscapes must be epic. Like all the rules of photography, these have their place, yet they can be broken, and I think they should be broken. Do you have a favorite rule breaking technique that didn't make my list? Let me know, share your thoughts. Leave a comment on the episode page over a stop-down podcast, or if you prefer to keep it private, use the contact form on the website, send me a note. An additional thought about the aperture choice when you're capturing landscapes is extremely small apertures. Sometimes it will not help you. I'm thinking about you know going to F-16, F-22 or beyond when you're dealing with atmospherics in nature, dust, haze, salt spray, fog, and if you're capturing a landscape and there are atmospherics, you know, the background is going to have a level of softness to it, maybe the midground, depending on how thick the atmosphere is. So thunking down to F22 isn't going to magically cut through a hazy atmosphere. You know, I photograph the ocean a lot, and often I'll tap out at F11. Now, I might capture at f16 not to gain sharpness, but maybe to kind of influence shutter speed depending on what I want to do with the water. Yeah, but that's a, that's a different topic, and if you're interested in that kind of stuff, check out episode 68 of Stop Down Podcast. I got some seascape photography tips there for you. I'll leave a link in the show notes to that episode. <laughs> One other corollary, maybe, to uh, to these rules of photography and, you know, photographers. Is, is manual mode. I hear that one a lot, like, oh, you're not a real photographer and you're not in manual mode. Well, uh, my dirty little secret, 95% of my landscape work, I'm in aperture priority mode. Depth of field is my first artistic choice for a landscape scene. And from there, I'll let the camera do the work on making a good exposure, and I provide guidance with exposure compensation. When I have to go into bulb mode or I'm using really thick filters, you know, that kind of scenario, yeah, absolutely. I'm going over into manual mode, maybe for a panorama, but most of the time, I'll let the camera do more of that work for me and focus more of my attention on capturing the scene, finding the right composition, getting the story of my photo as strong as possible. Before I sign off this week, thanks as always to the supporters in our Patreon group it is your support that makes this podcast possible, as well as the tutorials I post on YouTube. You're helping thousands of photographers improve their craft, move forward on their photo journey. And this group also is uh, its kind of like my board of directors, you know, for the podcast as well as for some of the photo courses that I'll consider or workshops. I've been having a conversation recently around light and shadow. I'm thinking about another uh, video course about shaping light and shadow in our photos and we've been talking about this this topic and i've been getting some really good feedback from the folks in patreon you're like my, my trusted source of photographers to uh, to help help guide me and, and help to create more meaningful content so thank you very very much for your continued support and your wonderful input If you're interested in learning more about the Patreon community, check the show notes. There is a link there. There's also a support this show button on every page of Stop Down Podcast, and there are plenty of zero-cost ways you can support this podcast, one of which is leaving a review. Links are in the show notes on how to do that. And that is going to wrap it up for this week. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hope it gave you some ideas and maybe just the freedom to go out and break some of these rules that we have for landscape photography. Get out there, have fun with your cameras. And until next time, my name is Scott Davenport. Have fun.